Good morning, Hope Jersey City. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited this morning to continue our series called Ecclesia, where we are looking at different images and metaphors of the church in the New Testament. And we're thinking about the idea of what does it mean for us to be the church? So far, we've thought about the church as the body of Christ. We've thought about the church as the bride of Christ. And last week, we considered what it means for the church to be the flock that follows Jesus. This morning, we're going to think about the church as the family of God. What does it mean for us to be family? And what does it mean for the church to be our new spiritual family? Now, this can be challenging to talk about because for many of us, we have a lot of emotional baggage or a lot of trauma that comes from our families. And we need to be careful not to take the, the negative ideas that we've experienced about family and apply those to the church. But hopefully the church as a family can be a place where we can process those things and discuss those things and hopefully experience healing with those things. I also want to say from the beginning that the idea of the church being a new family is not an idea that should be used to create discord or division within families. That's not biblical and that's not something that we, we want to go along with. Instead, the idea of the church as a family is, idea, is an idea that centers around love. And we're going to explore that together. Our passage for this morning is from Mark chapter 3. If you have Bibles somewhere in your room right now, I would really encourage you to go and grab one because we're going to be flipping to a lot of passages this morning. But our main text is from Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 31. It says this, Then his, that is Jesus, then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, so here we have a kind of strange text. Jesus is at a house dining with his disciples and his family, his mother, his sisters, his brothers, come to get him. And if we were to read earlier in Mark chapter 3, we'd realize they're coming to get him because they think he's crazy. They literally think he's out of his mind and are attempting to pull him away from what he's doing. And when someone tells him that his family is outside looking for him, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? These people are my mothers, my sisters, and my brothers. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a new family, a family that transcends the earthly family, and that family is found among those who follow Jesus. Let's explore that idea a little more together, and I want to do it by thinking about the parent of this family, the siblings of this family, and the behavior of this family. So let's begin with the parent. If you look at this passage in Mark chapter 3, it's interesting that who is mentioned. Uh, Jesus' brothers, sisters, and mother is mentioned, but there's no mention of Jesus' father. Where was he? What was he doing? 
Well, this passage reminds me of another passage in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 28. I promised you we'd be going all over the place. So Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 28, says this. Peter began to say to Jesus, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So in this text in Mark chapter 10, Peter comes to him and says, we left everything. And Jesus is like, yeah. And here's the promise. People who have left all of these things, and then he lists seven things. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, fields. He says, people who have left those things for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will gain all of these things. But then he lists six things. He lists Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. You'll notice that fathers are listed in what is left, but are not listed in what is gained. So why in Mark chapter 3 and in Mark chapter 10 are fathers both left out? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, and you very well might have guessed it by now. They're left out because in this new family, God is the father. There isn't room for new fathers in this family, in this, in this metaphor that we're making, because God is the father of this family. And this is a, a theme that continues throughout the New Testament. For example, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the author says, See what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The author of 1 John says, we know that God has lavished his love on us. We know that God loves us deeply because we are called his children. Um, in Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Paul says in Romans, you used to be a slave to the law. He says something similar uh, in Galatians, he says, you used to be a slave to the law. In Romans, he says something similar. You used to be a slave to sin. But now, because of the work of Jesus, you are a child of God. Family, we are children of God, adopted because of Jesus. Now, the idea of God as our Heavenly Father can be tricky for some. Uh, first of all, I just want to call out that we say God is Father, but we don't mean that God is male, right? God is not a dude. God does not have male genitalia. God is not male. And there are places in the Bible that use 
the father metaphor to describe God and father language. And there are places in the Bible that use the mother metaphor and motherly language to describe God. The point is that God is the true and only parent of this new family. But this idea of God as parent can be tough for us. Uh, it was tough for me for a long time. I've shared a story before of some of my relationship with my father and um, especially one moment that was really impactful for me where my father asked me to lie to his girlfriend to say that I wasn't his son. And when we have these sort of traumatic and difficult experiences with our earthly parents, it can be hard to relate to God as parent. And on one hand, that's totally valid and totally something that we, that we need to be careful with. But I think on the other hand, these bad experiences with our earthly parents can make the idea of God as our heavenly parent even richer and deeper. Because God is the parent who loves us no matter what happens. God is the parent who will always accept us and always care for us and who will never leave us and never forsake us. Here's the point. God is our heavenly parent and that means that his love for us is deeper than we could ever imagine. And it also means that because we are all his children, we are siblings in this new family. So this brings us to the second thing, the siblings of the family. Since we all have God as our parent, you and I are brothers and sisters in this new family, bound together by our adoption by God, bound together as God's own. And now this has one really simple, but honestly, pretty radical consequence. If we're brothers and sisters, then that means it means we should love each other. This is um, what Jesus says in Mark chapter three. He's sitting there with his disciples and he's looking around and he's saying, these people who follow me, these are my brothers and my sisters. And this idea that siblings in God's family should love each other is also an idea that is repeated throughout the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those of the family of faith. Paul says we have a responsibility to do, to do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of faith. The author of 1 John says something similar. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 9, he writes this, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. The author of 1 John says, if you are someone who is in the light, someone who follows God, who is light, then you must be someone who loves your brothers and sisters. 
as siblings in God's family, our obligation is to love one another. But we have an especially poignant obligation, not just to love each other, but especially to love those of us who are marginalized. Um, there's this really great and somewhat well-known parable in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. This is a story that Jesus tells that represents the final judgment at the end of time. And in this story, God separates the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are the good people and the goats are the bad people, basically. It says this in Matthew 25, verse, verse 34. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you in sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. In this parable, Jesus is saying we have a responsibility to those who are hungry and thirsty, to those who are strangers and naked, who are sick or in prison, but especially when those people are our brothers and sisters. Now, like parents, the idea of us as siblings might come with, with trauma or emotional baggage, but I think we, I think we have a good idea of, of what sibling love should look like. It means that we care for one another, that we have compassion on one another, that we listen to one another, we believe one another, we are concerned with one another, we protect one another, that we are willing to stick by one another no matter what happens. So this brings us to the last idea, the idea of the behavior of this family. Being a part of this family means that we have certain obligations for how we should behave. And Jesus says this in Mark chapter 3, back to our original passage. Jesus says in verse 35, Whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, and mother. The behavior of this family is to do the will of God. You and I, as people of the church are to be people who do God's will. Jesus was the ultimate example of that. Remember the night before he was killed, when he was in the garden and he prayed, God, not my will, but yours be done. Now, this sounds really good in the abstract. We should do God's will. But what does that actually mean to do the will of God? I think that we often think of the will of God in a really poor and really wrong way. Way. We often think of the will of God in this really linear sense, right? We have this idea that God has a plan for your life and you need to follow God's plan in order to be in God's will. So this means you go to a school, 
you have to go to the, the school God has in mind for you, you have to get the degree, you have to get the right job, you have to marry the right person, you have to move to the right place, etc., etc. And often the way this plays itself out is if you're in a place where you're deciding what school to go to or who to be in a relationship with or what job offer to accept or what job to apply for and you're asking yourself, what is God's will for me in this situation? Now that's not a bad question to ask, but I don't think it's really helpful, first of all. I think thinking about God's will in this really linear way can be paralyzing because then we, we become afraid that if we make the wrong decision, we won't be in God's will anymore. I also don't think there's much of a biblical warrant for this idea of God's will. I think there's very little biblical evidence that points to God's will as this really linear trajectory for your life. What does the Bible actually say God's will is? Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes this, This is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will is that you would be made holy and be made more like him. In the next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, Paul says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is that you give thanks in any circumstance. Church, I believe that God's will is that in every moment we seek to glorify him. God's will is that in every situation you strive to be faithful to his family, to be faithful to your heavenly father. And I think as long as we are striving to glorify God in every moment, then we will be in God's will. So if you're in a place where you have this big decision and you don't know what God's will is, just choose the one you want. Right? If you have a choice between two jobs, unless one job is you know, literally stealing food from orphans, then you can take either job and be in God's will. Pick the one you want and in it, seek to glorify and be faithful to God in everything you do. This is the will of God, that we be a family that's in deep relationship with him that we be people who love one another, that we do good to all, that we strive to bring other people into God's family. So church, if we are God's family, this raises important questions that we need to wrestle with. Are we spending time with our heavenly parent? You know how you gotta, you gotta make the weekly phone call back to mom, right? Are we people who are setting aside time to build relationships with our heavenly parent? Are we so busy with other things that we neglect our spiritual siblings? Or do we create space and time so that we can love and care for one another? Are we people who are committed to doing God's will together, to challenging each other and to supporting each other when it's challenging and difficult? 
And are we people who want to continue bringing other people into this family and expanding the love of this family? Hope Jersey City, we are the church. We have been adopted by God to be his children. We are sisters and brothers with one another in love, and we are called to do God's will and to work for the good of all. So let's do it together. Amen.